Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. A reading from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completedness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Almighty and gracious God, Fill our hearts, fill our hearts this morning with the presence of your spirit, with the words of your scriptures. Fill our hearts, O Lord, so that we would know what it is that we are to do, who we are to be, but so that we would go forth from this place, not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. As many of you know, when I started in ministry, I started out doing youth ministry. For 12 years, I worked in youth ministry, first in a church while I was in seminary, and then later in my first appointment. 
And as a part of that trip, we would, as a part of that ministry, we would take mission trips. And somewhere in the midst of my time in Thomasville, we were working with the Appalachia Service Project, doing home repair ministries up in central Appalachia. And as that would go, sort of the schedule of the day is you got up at the crack of dawn, you got your supplies together, you went to your work site, you worked like a dog all day long, you came back, you grabbed a shower, you had dinner, and then there was about two hours of sort of just downtime before there was an evening exercise of some sort. It was in this downtime that what would happen is the adults from different groups would sometimes go do their paperwork, get the things ready for the next day. The kids would sort of mingle and play basketball or frisbee or softball or sit in the corner and goof off, that sort of thing. So one year on one of these trips where we were the center where we stayed, there was a long line of picnic tables, about three that sort of butted up against each other. And so on a Wednesday night, the adults, we were sort of sitting there asking each other how our day was, sort of watching the kids play, which is a bit like watching puppies play in the yard. You know, there was a game of basketball that one kid was really good, the rest of them weren't. It was sort of lopsided. There was a game of Frisbee football that was trying to take place, which is interesting on a parking lot in its own right. There's a group of kids over the corner trying to sing and play guitar and impress each other with songs they know. And as we're talking, this teenage kid walks up and plops down at the end of the table. Now, for some reason, he thought he was far enough away from the adults that we would not notice or hear what was about to happen. And we're sitting there kind of watching this and watching what's going on out there. And he gets out his cell phone and he flips it open. This was back in the days of flip phones. He flips it open and he dials up. And immediately, all of the adults, our ears just popped up. Who's he calling? This ought to be interesting. Someone, I think, was hoping he was calling his mom, but we knew pretty sure that that wasn't the case when it started out like this. Hey, sweetie, how are you? And at that point, all of our ears were up and we all turned and watched. And this is how the conversation goes. Hey, sweetie, how are you? What you doing? Oh, me? I'm just sitting here loving you. Aww, I'm loving you, loving me. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm loving you, loving me, loving you. Oh, it gets better. I'm not doing much, dear. I'm sitting here loving you, loving me, loving you. And about this time, one of the adults goes, I've been married 20 years. That ain't love. I think I'm going to go get sick. And with that, he gets up and walks off. And about this time, the kid turns and looks and realizes that we are all listening to this ridiculous teenage, googly-eyed, one-side love conversation. And he goes, honey, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> Snaps his phone shut, turns beet red, and disappears for the next two days convinced we didn't see him. But as we sat there, we thought of our friend that said, I know love and that ain't it. See, love is not that sappy, syrupy, sweetness, teenage love thing, is it? It's really much deeper because that's the love that God wants for us. Not that, that sweet googly-eyed thing. That's great. But God wants something much deeper for you and for me. 
And so what we find is we find if we look at Jesus's ministry, it's always talking about love, but it's Paul that helps us clarify that. The passage that Sarah just read is the love chapter. It's a chapter in 1 Corinthians that gets quoted oftentimes in weddings. It kind of gets pulled right out of the Bible and thrown right in the wedding ceremony and said, this is it. Or it's a subtext for a Hallmark movie or the text on a Valentine's Day card, which, by the way, that's 11 days away for those of you that need some help. (laughs) But what Paul is writing about is more than that. The love that Paul is talking about is not a hallmark moment. It's not just about romantic love between a man and a woman, not a romantic love between two people who are committed their lives to each other. He's writing about something much, much bigger, much, much deeper than that. So in order to understand what Paul's really writing, we've kind of got to understand in the context of the whole letter of the Corinthian church. Remember the church in Corinth is, it's a new church. It's just started. It's growing gangbusters. It's busting out the seams. Every week there are more and more people coming into worship and the church is experiencing some difficulty. They're starting to see people trying to make a hierarchy of who are better followers than others. They got in this conversation one day, I guess, in Sunday school about spiritual gifts and they started trying to figure out who's got the best spiritual gift. Someone says, you know, I can prophesy. And the other one says, well, but I'm a speaker. And the other one says, no, but I'm a teacher. And they're trying to figure out who's better. Is there a hierarchy? Remember that that's what's happening in chapter 12. And if it wasn't just that about the gifts, it was also about this idea of order and importance. And Paul rolls out that part about the body of Christ. And if we jump over 13, we get right into chapter 14, where also what was happening in the Corinthian church was a little bit of difficulty about worship. Now you think that here in the modern church, we've had struggle with worship wars, traditional versus contemporary versus alternative. We've got nothing on the Corinthian church because they were looking at worship and trying to figure out what was the true way to worship, what was the right way to worship. And if somebody spoke in tongues and somebody thought they were interpreting God's word correctly, who was to argue against that? And how did they make sure that everyone had a place at God's table to come and take communion, that there was no order, that we were all equal? And so right smack in the middle of these two issues that the church is dealing with, Paul drops right in the middle of it, chapter 13, the conversation about love. Sure, it can be that guide for the romantic love between two people who love each other, but I don't want to discount that by any stretch of imagination. But what he's really writing about, what Paul is trying to tell us is that love should be the guide for how we live, for all manner of our living. And from this passage, we learn three things about love. First, we learn that everything matters if and only if love is a part of it. Without love, nothing matters. Without love, everything is null and void. Love is the most important piece. The second thing is Paul defines what love is just so that there's no mistaking it amongst us. And third and finally, Paul reminds us that no matter what happens, love is the greatest of all things and love outlasts everything. And so we start at the beginning. We start with Paul. It says that love makes everything in life worthwhile. Everything has meaning. Remember, he starts, he jumps right out of chapter 12 talking about gifts and he says, look, if you've got the gifts of speech or prophecy or faith or charity and you don't have love, you are but 
a clashing cymbal, a banging gong. You're just noise in the world that has no meaning. See, love is what gives everything in life meaning. And we think all the way back to creation. Remember when God was creating the world, the text says in Genesis, God created in seven days and at the end of each day, when God, separ- when God first said, let there be light, and later God said, let me separate the water so that there is the heavens and the earth, there's the land and the sea. At the end of each day, what did God say? God said it was good. Meaning God had great love for what had been created. There was this created order in which there was this connection to God because what God made was good. And so what Paul is writing is that if our lives are devoid of love, if our lives don't have that, then we have missed the goodness that God has given us. That we sort of have missed the whole point of creation and there's an emptiness to who we are and to what God has provided for us. We think about all those movies that we like to watch, all those, those rom-coms and those Hallmark movies. You know, there's always this idea that everything is perfect. You know, there's a basic trope to it all is. There's a character that's got everything perfect. They've got the perfect clothes, the perfect car, the perfect job, the perfect income. Their home is always neat. It's always up to date in architectural digest decorating. I mean, everything is perfect. It's a showroom. And yet what about their life? Their life is empty. They're lonely, they're lost. And then somewhere along the way, love comes to town and something comes and captures their heart, whether it's a person or it's a pet or it's something that they find that they all of a sudden serving others, something comes to town and captures their heart and all this perfect stuff in life doesn't matter anymore because love is what matters most. And all that other stuff goes by the wayside. And so what Paul is saying to us at the very beginning is if I have all of these gifts and I don't have love, it's empty because love is what's supposed to drive our everyday living. When we wake, when we go to sleep, everything in between, and even as we go to sleep thinking about the next day or recasting the previous day, we should be thinking and acting and living out of love. When Jesus was in his earthly ministry, Jesus was going around with the disciples and always the religious leaders of the days were trying to catch him try to play gotcha with Jesus, which is a really a losing proposition, as we know. But they're trying to play gotcha, and one day one of the religious teachers comes to Jesus and says, tell me what's the greatest commandment. Now Jesus knows that this is a trap where they're trying to line Jesus up to get Jesus to say, well, it's this, and they can say, yeah, but what about these? And Jesus is on to this game, and so Jesus does what he does best. He puts the game back in their laps. And so Jesus says, well, what does it say? Well, now he's got them, doesn't he? Well, it says in in the law that you should love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just smiles because Jesus says, you're right. But he does better than that. He doesn't just say, you're right. Those Those are the best commandments. He says, you're right. And all the laws and the prophets hang on these two points. So if you're looking for what's the greatest commandment in the kingdom of heaven, Love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else follows from those. Now, I like math and I love equations. So I love this idea of trying to find the common denominator. Love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. What's the common denominator? Love. 
Pure and simple, what, what Paul is trying to tell people at the very beginning, telling the Corinthian church is, all of this stuff that you're arguing about, it matters if and only if you approach it, if you approach your life from a standpoint of love. Because truly love is what's most important. So all of a sudden now he's framed it for the Corinthian church and for us as well, that we are to approach life with this idea of love. Well, that sort of begs the question, then what is love? Now, love is not that googly-eyed romantic love that the teenager at the end of the picnic table was dealing with. That's a part of it, but that's only a small part of love. That's only sort of like an appetizer of love. Instead, what Paul does is Paul jumps right into it and Paul says, love is patient and kind. He comes right out of the gate and he says, love is patient and kind. And, you know, if you think about it, that's exactly what our world needs these days, isn't it? We need a little more kindness and a little more patience. And if we could just practice those two things with everyone around us, the world would be a better place, right? Think about it. Think about the amazing power that kindness and patience can have in our world. So a few weeks ago, I was given a set of tickets to go see Wake Play Duke over at the Joel. Go Blue Devils, right? Great game. Wonderful. And at the end of the game, I mean, it's one of the largest crowds they've seen at the Joel lately. And and in the game, you know what happens? At the start of the game, everybody got parking lot attendants. They got the vests, the wands. They're waving everybody in. Everybody's excited finding their space. At the end of the game, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, there's some people pulling out. I mean, they're they're chanting, go Blue Devils. You know, they're doing that. And others are, well, they're not chanting. We'll just leave it at that. So they're going out, and of course, everybody's got to go out one of two exits. I don't know how we get away with this, but we, you know, we, we pack 10,000 cars in a parking lot, but there's only two ways out. I know it makes no sense. There's two ways in, and we get in. How it takes, anyway. But what happens? Everybody wants to get out first because they've got to go home and celebrate or go home and cry or whatever. Some just have to go home. And of course, everybody's trying to get out at the same time. And what happens? There's an immediate log jam. But what I've noticed happens is as you come to the end of your row and you're trying to make, an in, make a turn in, nobody wants to give ground. And then there's one person that flashes their lights and they let you in. And then as you go along, there's somebody that wants to come in and you flash their lights. And pretty soon we figure this out. And so everybody goes out, everybody's waving with each other with all their fingers, everybody's having a good time, everybody's letting each other out. <laughs> Patience and kindness, right? That's what love is, patient and kind. And if we would practice more of that in the world these days, think of the difference. I mean, if we're all trying to get there together anyway, what happens if we were a little more patient and kind? But Paul doesn't stop there. He wants to make sure that we truly understand what love is, and then he wants to make sure that we understand what it's not. So he jumps right into it. He says, now love is not about you. So often the world tells us it's all about me and wants to sell that to us. So, so Paul jumps right into it and basically says, it's not all about you. As a matter of fact, love is when you don't act about you and you act about others. So love is not jealous. It's not arrogant. It's not braggadocious. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not unjust. It's not irritable. Love is not about you. Love is when you make life about someone else, make life about others where you're pulling for the best from others. You want others to succeed. Love is about helping someone out to lift them up 
Love really is, not just patient and kind, but love really is letting someone out in front of you. If you want to have some fun, sometimes after lunch here on your way to, church, on your way to the restaurant or the club, you're going to do exactly what we all do. You're going to race to the club because you want to beat someone there, either one of your own pewmates or the Baptist or the Episcopalians, whatever. You want to be, meet them there, and you're going to pull in the parking lot, and you're going to see them. And you're both 20 yards from the door, and now there's a competition. Because if you get there first, you may only have a five-minute wait, but if you get there second, it could be 25 minutes. I'm well over the time, don't worry. This is going to happen. But imagine if you get to the door the same time they do, and you hold the door open, and you say after you. Watch their demeanor. It changes their whole day because they've come to the door thinking there's this competition and you let them win. You give them a hand up. It changes their whole day because it's not about you. So we're talking about that and a couple of weeks ago in one of the sermons I was telling the story about the softball players and the one that, that carried the opponent around the bases because she had blown her knee out so that she could score the run and score her first home run. Well, that sermon got embedded in the lives of one of our teenagers in her heart. And so what ends up happening is she's playing basketball lately and on her team, they're banging it out in the middle and they're knocking each other down, they're boxing out and she's just picking each other up. She's picking her teammates up, she's picking the opponents up. You know, there's a hard foul, there's a hard knock, she's giving them a hand up, it doesn't matter. After the game, her, her coach and her parents are like, what are you doing? And she says, well, we learned that in church. They're listening, are we? But she says, I learned that in church. I learned that we're supposed to pick each other up and lift each other up and help each other succeed. See, that's the lesson that Paul's teaching. The lesson that Paul's teaching is that all the law and the prophets say, hang on this idea of love, that we want to bring out the best in each other and we want to love each other no matter who they are. No matter how similar or how different they are from us, no matter what their politics are, no matter what their proclivities are, no matter what school they go to or they cheer for, love each other because that's what God wants us to do. Even it means you don't get your way. It's Jesus and others first. That's what love looks like. So if love is what brings meaning to life, if love is what gives everything purpose, if love is how we're supposed to treat each other, the final thing that Paul wants to remind us of is that love outlasts everything. That it truly is the greatest gift of God and the greatest gift that we can give to the world because it will endure forever. See, when we begin to understand that about love, we begin to understand love very simply as a child. We understand the love our parents had for us. We understand it a little bit more as teenagers when we realize the depth of that love because we're trying it every day. And then we become adults and we have that love for the world and maybe that love for that one other person. And maybe even we become parents ourselves and love takes a new dimension. Or we become grandparents and love takes yet even a different dimension. Or as life goes on, we become caregivers of our own parents. And it's a whole nother level, isn't it? So as life goes on, our definition and understanding of love both gets wider and deeper, doesn't it? We begin to get more full and we begin to realize that love is what God calls us to share to the world. And love is the only thing that matters. Love is what lasts forever. In his book, The Gift of the Magi, O. Henry writes a story of James and Della. A young couple, they are dirt poor and they're just getting ready to celebrate their first Christmas together. And they have no money. 
None whatsoever. And Della thinks as Christmas is approaching what she wants to give her husband. He's got this great watch that was his grandfather's, but because he doesn't have a chain for it to wear on his vest, he has to kind of keep it in his pocket. And so when it's time to tell time, he's kind of got to fumble through his suit coat, pull his pocket watch out to look at the time, and then he worries about dropping it. So he almost keeps it hidden. She walks by the store one day and she sees the perfect chain for him. It costs $21. And she thinks to herself, that's exactly what I want to give James for Christmas, but I've only scrimped a dollar away. She passes a shop that says, we buy hair. Now what you know from the story is that Della's got this beautiful flowing hair. It's hair that everybody would want. It's so beautiful. It's like the one mark that she's got. And everyone remarks about it. it says, Della, your hair is so beautiful. Your hair is so beautiful. And without missing a beat, Della walks into the shop and she says, how much will you pay me for this? $20. She says, take it all off. So she gets her hair cut much shorter than mine is. She gets it cut and she gets the $20 and the one that she saved in her pocket and she goes and she buys that chain and has it wrapped up and cannot wait until her husband comes home that evening. Now what she doesn't know, but we read, is that James is having the same conversation with himself. Christmas is coming. She's such a good wife. I love her so much. What can I give her? Her hair is so beautiful. But you know, it gets tangled from time to time because it's so long and when you sleep on it, I mean, I understand when you sleep on it, it gets really tangled or so they tell me. But anyway, it happens and so I want it to look beautiful and I also want it to shine during the day. And what would make it work is if I got her these combs that she could comb her hair out with and that she could feather into her hair that would make her hair just stand out and look beautiful. So he goes along and he looks for these combs and he finds them and he sees what they cost. And he's got no money. But he knows he's got it in his pocket. So he goes down the street to a store and he sells his watch. And he takes his money and he hurriedly buys those combs before someone else does, gets them wrapped. As he comes in from work, he comes in and she's sitting at the kitchen table, just a simple bowl of porridge and bread ready for dinner. And she says, I'm so glad you're home, I've got something for you. And she puts the box in front of him. What's this, he says. It's just a gift. I want you to have it. And he unwraps the gift. Her eyes are expectant. She pops, he pops it open and there's the chain. And he smiles. He says, I've got you a gift. She says, don't you like it? He goes, I love it. She go, he goes, but I got you a gift. From behind his back, he pulls out the box. Now, he's noticed that her hair's been cut. Don't get me wrong. He's noticed this, but he's trying to figure out what to do with it. He's not sure why. And she opens the box. And he said, I don't know about your hair, but I think these would be beautiful. And she says, well, try your watch with the chain. He goes, well, I sold the watch to buy the combs. And she says, I sold my hair to buy the chain. Now, it's a great story of true love between a man and a wife, but even more so, it really talks about what Paul is trying to get us to see. Is that what James and Della have learned in that instant is that their love for each other will transcend time, that their love for each other is much greater than anything else. 
no matter what they experience in life, their love will not waver because that's the greatest gift they've given each other. And so what does it mean for us? As we look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we begin to understand what he meant when he said love. We begin to understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about love of God and love of neighbor, what Jesus meant about this idea of God's love. See, love is not that googly-eyed teenage thing that we heard about at the beginning. No, what our world needs is love. It needs that greatest gift that makes life worthwhile. What our love needs, what our world needs is love that's focused outwardly on the world around us, on the best for others, where they need it, how they need it, when they need it, when it's not about ourselves. Because that's the love that is going to endure. That's the love that's gonna last and test the dawn of time. It's gonna last much beyond our lifetime, the love that makes an impact. What says to the world, you matter because God loves you. So as we come to the table this morning and we experience the gift of the kingdom, the gift of God's unfailing love for ourselves, let it fill our hearts but let us go out into the world where we know that love is the greatest, that love makes life worth living, where we're living for others to let them be first, to hold them up. Because that's the gift that will last forever that our world so desperately needs. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.